The people of God, I invite you to turn with me in God's Word in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, it's found on page 1161 in the Bibles you have before you. Ephesians uh, chapter 4. We'll begin reading with verse 4 and read to verse 16. People of God, hear the word of the Lord. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a, captive, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we may we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, people of God, this word from God's word is set before us. It is a declaration about uh, what we have in Christ and what we are called to in Christ. And we will particularly focus on verse 8 and following and see in this text that there are gifts of grace as well as uh, you can think of the grace that has come to us and the great gifts of salvation, which is summarized in the first verses, uh, but then the gifts that God has given us in the context of the church and our life in Christ, uh, picking up with verse 8. There is this contrast between all that we have already in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and what we are given Uh, in our daily lives for our new life in Christ. And we'll particularly focus not on the gift of salvation, uh, but the gifts that are described in here, uh, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, but one might call them their gifts of grace. They are the gifts to the church of God. And so we'll look at the giver of the gifts, Uh, looked at the one who are gifted or the recipients, 
look at the gifts themselves and identify some of the specific gifts that are stated here and then the purpose or the goals of the gifts that God has uh, given that are specifically uh, stated here. Once again, these, this is not an exhaustive list or the only kind of gift, but there's a special nature of the gift that is given. It reminds me, first of all, of the importance of the church, because these gifts are given to the church, and, and they are seen in the context of church. And, and there are some people that say, well, I don't need the church. And then what they're saying is, I don't need the gifts that Jesus says that he has given to the church. And so we need to be mindful that these are important gifts. They're essential gifts. Then they're, they're gifts that, have an, that certainly impact us individually, but there is a communal aspect to the gifts as well. So first of all, who is the giver of the gifts? Well, that's uh, abundantly clear from the context, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift or Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus Christ is clearly identified as the giver of the gifts in this text. Uh, he is, uh, this gift giving is rooted in his ascension, but it's an ascension that is in, uh, follows a resurrection and it follows a crucifixion and it follows a descent into the world, uh, coming into the world and then an ascending out of the world but you can't have an ascension unless you, and a resurrection unless you also have a crucifixion. And so, as we read in chapter 1, uh, as we reflected on our assurance of pardon, we see that these gifts come from Jesus Christ, the one who saves us from our sins, the, and, this is, uh, and all that we have in Christ. And, and now that Christ as the ascended conquering king, is giving gifts to his people, to the church of Jesus Christ. And that gift giving arises out of the fact that he has the power to give gifts, he has the authority to give gifts, he has the empathy to give gifts, he has the desire to give gifts. He is the conquering king who gives gifts. And this text, in verse 8, he ascended on high when he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, this came from the psalm that we use for our uh, call to worship and our invocation. And this, uh, this declaration that he led uh, captives in his train, or he led a host of captives. And there's a, in the older translation, it would even say he led captives in his train. Well, that, that's a terminology that we don't use uh, anymore, leading captives in your train, or he led a host of captives, or why do you lead a host of captives? A conquering king would return to his city, and he would have a great parade, and in that parade, he would, he would be leading the captives that he had taken in that war, in, in his victory, and he would have captives, and he would have plunder. And when he had that plunder, uh, it would be 
uh, a very small way in which you would see that would be that he, he, it would be like a giant parade. Well, I don't know if you children ever like to go to parades. I have some grandchildren and, and there's a parade not too far from uh, one of their houses and they go there and, and there's, this, there's this parade. And that parade, uh, in the old, there's some real old terminology, and that's why you see in the older translations, he led captives in his train. doesn't mean that he has a, 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 a locomotive and he has boxcars that's being pulled. The train is a reference to a parade. It's like a parade. He's leading in a parade a, uh, a whole host of conquering soldiers and, and, con- and those who are conquered, and he gives gifts out of the plunder, out of, the, uh, out of all that he has accomplished, all that he has received and is conquering. He gives gifts. Your children may have, maybe they throw candy at a parade. I, I take my grandchildren to a parade and they throw out candy. They say, oh, this is great, we have candy. Well, believe me, people of God, uh, the, uh, in the ancient world, they would throw out gold uh, in these parades. They would share the plunder. Uh, they would share the wealth of be, the place they've been conquered. Uh, but that is nothing in comparison to what Christ's gifts are for us because he has conquered sin and death because he's conquered us. He has conquered all things and he is now in a position as a ruling powerful king to give us gifts. He is clearly in that authoritative position. Ephesians 1, 18 and following describes that ascension this way. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of the glory, his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? This is God's power. Now Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the conquering king. This is the one who is seated at the right hand of of God. It is our Lord, our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And it says... He gave gifts. He gave gifts to men. The recipients of the gift, the gifted, uh, those who have the gifts, are very clearly in this text, the church of Jesus Christ. It says in general, as it uses the illustration, uh, you know, he gave gifts to men, but the men are clearly identified in the text and in the book of Ephesians. uh, Verse uh, 12 will describe those to whom it's given as equipping the saints. It's the saints, it's the holy ones. Uh, That is a 
common declaration. Uh, it is what the introduction to the book of Ephesians says in Ephesians 1, 1 and following. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace. It is the saints, it is the believers. And in the New Testament, every single true believer is a saint, is a holy one, is one who has been set apart by God. And it's the saints. He's given it to the saints, not I'll give it to uh, a saint here and a saint there, but it's, it's this communal aspect, which is certainly reflected in verse 16 when the group that is given the gifts is described as the body, singular, of Christ. And so there's a particular emphasis in the text that these gifts are given to the church. The gifts of the Spirit and there are, uh, are given to uh, in individuals in the church. Here it is given to the church, which is made up of individuals. But the focus of the text is the people of God in particular. Sometimes there's a focus on what God does with us and to us individually, so, and then has communal application. In this text, it is the community that is focused on with individual application. So it's a particular focus on the community of believers. That's simply clear. All the people of God are given these gifts. Well, what are the gifts that God's... What, what are these gifts? Well, we're not talking here about the gift of salvation in particular. Uh, the, the Ephesians is already brilliantly and gloriously covered that in Ephesians 1 where those verses that we read in the assurance of pardon just a, the, one of the greatest descriptions of God's mighty work in giving us the gift of salvation in and through Jesus Christ but they are gifts that are absolutely necessary for us in order to learn about that salvation and know that salvation in a deep and glorious way. And so the first gift that is identified is this, and he gave the apostles. The apostles are the gifts that God has given. Uh, the gift is the apostles. That's the gift. And how are the apostles? That's Peter and James and John, the 12 apostles, uh, and, and then the added apostle, and then the one apostle who said he shouldn't be an apostle, but by God's marvelous, miraculous work, he is an apostle, the apostle Paul. Now God has given us those apostles as gifts. Well, how, what kind of gift are they to us? I mean, they lived 2,000 years ago. So how could they be a gift? They could be, and, and not all of the Ephesians uh, even knew all the apostles. They knew, they know certainly one, Paul. There may have been other apostles that visited. We know that John visited in Ephesus. But what about us? Well, people of God, it's obvious, isn't it? It's, I mean, we... The gift of the apostles to the church uh, is, is before us every single Sunday. Every day we, we open the Bible and we look at the New Testament in particular. 
the apostles are gifts to the church, and through the apostles we have the Word of God. We have God's Word given to us, but they're a gift to us. It's, it's very clear. It's very evident. The apostle, the word apostle, is the word for sent one. And they have been sent to the church. And, they, and an apostle, as an ascent one, is one who communicates the truth. In John 13, uh, verse 6, uh, this sent and, and truth-conveying character of the apostles is set before us in John uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 6. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him the one who apostled him, sent him. And those are the apostles, and, and they are a, the messengers. They're messengers. It also mentions that the prophets, the prophets are the gift. Now there's some debate about whether the prophets mean the Old Testament prophets, and, and we have some indication that were, there was a prophetic uh, there were a number of prophets in the New Testament era. Even uh, the apostles were certainly prophets in, the, in an Old Testament sense. Um, and there may be an other Old, New Testament prophets. But as it says prophets in general, uh, in our text, it does seem that all of this gift-giving comes after the ascension. So we may think in terms of more New Testament rather than Old Testament prophets with this focus being on the church of Jesus Christ after the ascension. And so, uh, but the prophets of the Old Testament could not have existed apart from the ultimate lordship of Jesus Christ and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament people of God could not have existed apart from the ultimate work of Christ on the cross and, and Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension. If Christ would have never died, there would be no Old Testament. Because it would have all been false. But Christ has accomplished all things, thus establishing both Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, and God has gifted the church with this. And then he says that there will be the gift of evangelists. Uh, evangelists in uh, the word, if you children, you look at the word evangelist, you may see a number of different words in that word. Evangelist. You might see the word A. Do you ever play that game where you look for words in a bigger word? Well, what's the word list is in there. But there's another word that's right in the middle of that word. And it's the word angel. Evangelist has the word angel in it. And the word angel also means messenger. Just very similar to the word apostle. It means messenger. Uh, and evangelist is a messenger of good news. Of good news. It is has a particular focus. And, and we think of evangelists as those people who are particularly preaching the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. Well, there are 
people particularly gifted that may be then uh, involved in mission work with what we call unreached people groups, and we might think of them as evangelists. In the New Testament, the word evangelist uh, doesn't necessarily apply to a specific office, but it applies to the type of work that one is doing. And so uh, Philip, uh, one of the original seven deacons, is called an evangelist in Acts 21 verse 8. Uh, Timothy is called, who is a pastor of a local church, is called an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Those are the only people that are identified as evangelists, and the people who identified them, one is a deacon and one is a pastor. Uh, But that gift of evangelist uh, is a particular. That that means that may not, not every pastor may... Every pastor should be evangelizing. In fact, all God's people should be doing that. But there's a gift that may be given in a particular person to be an evangelist. A pastor evangelist or a a, uh, deacon evangelist. Entirely possible, says the word. And and those evangelists, and uh, and so that's the call to evangelize. Uh, that word evangelism or evangelize uh, to, to proclaim the good news is used over and over in the New Testament. And so we see that as a gift of God uh, to his church. And then it says, and the shepherds, the shepherds. Now that word shepherd has a word that's connected, an old word that's connected to it, and that's the word pastor. Uh, And pastor is another word for shepherd. And it's abundantly clear that this word pastor is a word that is connected to a calling of God to a man in a particular and local church. And pastors are preachers of the good news. Uh, One may have a particular gift of evangelism, but all pastors are proclaimers of the truth of the gospel. And in that sense, we all evangelize. But we, we are called to be the preachers of the gospel, pastors of a local church. Now, I believe that you're right in, in the middle of that today, aren't you? And so God says that pastors are the, his gifts to you. That's what a pastor is. And right alongside the pastor is teachers. And a teacher in a special way here. It's a teacher in the context of prophets, evangelists, pastors, apostles, and now teachers. And one of the clear points of the Word of God for for teachers is that elders of the church are called to be teachers. That's another term that's used in the New Testament to describe particularly elders. They are pastors. So in our churches, we say that elders are teachers in a very special way. They're a gift 
of God to the church to teach. That's one of the key aspects. And in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 2, we read this concerning the work of a pastor. It says this, And you, you then, my child, Paul speaking to Timothy, Paul the apostle speaking to Timothy the pastor, he says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, pastors are to be teachers, and then those teachers teach others also. It is those who are teaching and training. In Titus uh, chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, we have these words. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, a pastor, one of those gifts of God to the church, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then in verse 9, he, the elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You need to have teachers, elders, teachers, being taught and teaching. And so what is the purpose of this? What are the goals of these gifts that God gives to his people? The goals are set before us in the text, and there's a number of them. A number of the goals that God sets before us in this text. And so, it's, uh, and that begins with verse 12. He gives evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry. Well, the first word is to equip or to prepare. If you think of equip, you might think of the equipment that we have. If you think of the word prepare, you might think of the physical condition that one must be in in order to accomplish a task that is set before them. I had both equipment and physical conditioning when I was in the army. And in the army, uh, I would say that following my basic training, I was probably in the best physical shape of my entire life. It is grueling. At least it was for me. And then they gave us a break for Christmas and decided that was too easy, so they extended our basic training by another two weeks. And so instead of, and we did have 12, you know, we, we had 14 weeks of basic training. And, and if all you're doing is physically getting fit for 14 weeks and in total exhaustion, it was the only time I ever did a push-up where I was, I was so exhausted that your muscles would just totally shake and you'd fall because you couldn't do it anymore. But they'd tell you to get back up. But anyway, so equipment, and I was equi- there was equipment that we were provided, and then there was, act- and then there was getting into shape. And, that, and this word, equipped, it, it includes both. Now, some translators do it prepared which focuses on the physical training, and the other one, equipment, which focuses on what we're given. But that's the purpose. The purpose of the gifts is to equip the saints so that you might be equipped. 
Equipped for what? Well, there's a number of things, but one of the things that you're equipped for, that I'm absolutely convinced you're equipped for, is right next to this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if any of you have a King James Bible, and you looked at that, and you would see that in this verse, it would say this. It would say that for the perfecting of the saints, the equipping, the preparing, the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry. Which means that it's the apostles and pastors and evangelists and teachers' job to do the work of ministry, but not the saints. That comma in the King James Version. There's no comma in the ESV. There's no comma in the New American Standard. There's no comma in the New King James. Because that comma is an interpretation. Did you know that a comma can be an interpretation in a text? It can be. And when there's no comma, that means that it's not the apostles, and it's not, well, they too, but they're doing things, but it's the apostles and prophets and pastors and elders' job to equip the saints for ministry, the church for ministry. The whole church is involved in ministry. But some people like to have that comma in there because their attitude is this. Well, if we have a pastor, he can do all the work and I don't have to do any. And I can't wait to get a pastor because then we go along and the elders may say, hey, if we get a pastor, we don't have to do near as much. And the word says, when you get the pastor, you all need to do a lot more, not less. You're going to be more equipped to do more works of ministry, not less. The job of the minister is not to be ministering everything in the church. His job is to teach and train so that you will do more ministry. You will do more work. The word ministry is the word diakonia. That's where we get the word deacon from. So we cannot say that the job of the minister is to do all the ministries in the church. And there's some churches, and I've heard this said, but I actually don't believe it because I haven't seen it. Some people say 10% of the people do 90% of the work in every church. I have not seen that. But there are some people who do very little in the church. Maybe none. And that's not what God has called either. We all are called to do works of ministry because of what God has given. And because and the gifts that he gives us isn't so that we do not do things. It's so that we all can do more. Don't look at the comma and enter into a spiritual coma. I call it the comma-coma disease of Christian non-living or non-ministry. Way to get rid of that comma and not enter into a spiritual coma and begin working in the church of Jesus Christ, doing ministry. 
In 2 Corinthians 1.9 describes that work of ministry as uh, a financial help. There was a work of ministry. In 2 Corinthians 6.3, it refers to the work of Paul and Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 12.5, ministry refers to different kinds of service, different kinds of ministry. It's clear that this word ministry is a broad word and not a specific word to a specific man for a whole group of people. It is for the edification. Now we're back to the... the, uh, uh, the apostles prof and the prophets uh, for until we all, for the building up of the body of Christ so that we might be built up it's it's like a builder is building the building and the whole church is that edification it's the whole church is is being built up edifice is another word for a building edification has this root meaning of being built up and the purpose of God's gifts, the particular gifts here, are so that we can all be built up. Built up to do what God works together. Verse 13, unified together until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Essential is our knowledge of all that Christ has done, including giving us gifts Every part of that, we want to come a unity of faith and knowledge and what a joy it is uh, when we as God's people have a confession, common confessions. We say we have a unity of faith. We even describe it as a three forms of unity. Uh, that uh, very phrase may well have come out of this kind of text. The unity of faith. Three forms of unity. What a joy it is to be in agreement on so much of fundamental biblical truth. And we strive for that. And and the gifts that God gave are so that God's people would be unified until we come to unity in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It comes back to Jesus. And because it's simply not just for knowledge of this or knowledge of that, it's knowledge of a person. Yes, His work. Yes, where he is. Yes, what he has accomplished. Yes, what he's giving us. All of that's important. But it's also a knowledge of Jesus Christ himself. Because his work is never separated from his person. We come to know him by knowing what he has done. We come to know about him. We come to know his his mercy and his grace. And it comes back to Jesus Do you rejoice in the unity of faith? Are you one who is ministering in the church of Jesus Christ? Do you rejoice and give thanks for the gifts, particularly the gift of the apostles and and the gift of evangelists and the gift of the pastor and the gift of elders that God has given you so that you may be built up, so that you may do works of ministry? Paul would give the last word of encouragement in this context, in this kind of context in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 58. The last words of that book of the Bible. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. A gracious God and Heavenly Father, O Lord, we thank you for the uh, great gift of salvation that you give to us. And we thank you for the gifts that you give to the church of Jesus Christ, a gift of the apostles, the gift of, of those who are pastors and the teachers among us. Father, we thank you for those gifts. But we pray, Lord, that we may never rely upon the gift to do all of the work of ministry, but that together we may do the works of ministry being built up in Christ Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.